Hi, I'm Emily Candela. I'm an artist and a design historian, and I'm fascinated by the ways that science meets art and design. On this series, I'll bring you stories from the long relationship between the arts and one particular science. X-ray crystallography, which is celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. It's a science that reveals the invisible, the tiny atomic structures of molecules and crystals. Welcome to Atomic Radio, a project of the Science Museum Art Program. My background in science is the most informal one you can imagine. I have no degree in science, but I was raised by scientists. As a kid growing up, I'd be painting in my bedroom while downstairs, my scientist parents might be labeling food in the kitchen with chemical diagrams. So I kind of grew up between science and the arts, and I've always been interested in their relationships. And so what I'd like to share with you on this show isn't only the submicroscopic world of atoms that X-ray crystallographers study, but the strange and subtle ways this obscure science has been secretly infiltrating art and design for decades. Over the next six weeks, we'll bring you six episodes, each on a new theme spotlighting a work of art or design prompted by the science of atoms. We've also created our own sound artworks inspired by X-ray crystallography. Here's a taste of what's to come. We'll explore the hidden role of fiction in scientists' and artists' efforts to understand the invisible world of atoms, featuring a film by the artist Tacita Dean that changed the way I thought about science, and reflections from the designer and artist Alexandra Daisy Ginsberg, who's using synthetic biology to design new life forms. So I'm always experimenting with different ways of working. And, and I think actually crashing real things together with fictions is a really effective way, as long as it's clearly signposted what's real and what's not, because it gets people to think about the same thing in, from lots of different angles. We'll look at the groundbreaking work of the composer Margaret Shadell who just might be revolutionizing the way X-ray crystallographers of the future will perceive their data by inventing ways for that data to take sonic form. Um, this is my favorite one. This would enable you to be working on your computer and then... Oh, that was a weird sound. I better go check something out. X-ray crystallography is hardly a household name, but its investigations into the minuscule realm of atoms and molecules have inspired designers and artists for a long time. We'll hear about the wallpaper patterns based on the atomic structures of concrete and boric acid. Lace woven according to the crystalline structure of insulin. And the quartz-patterned carpets made all the way back in the 1950s. And later in the series, we'll discover what happened when I came across a contemporary sculpture by the artist Conrad Shawcross, inspired by the crystallographer Dorothy Hodgkin, a sculpture partially composed of light. Mm -hmm. 
there was all these amazing kind of models that scientists had done at sort of maybe three, and that you've had this sense of them doing it at three in the morning on a kitchen table using spoons and chopsticks and just anything they had to hand. It was like that eureka moment where like they woken up and thought, oh my God, that's how I, this is what it looks like, this thing that I'll never see, I'm going to make it. And as I speak to you, Atomic Radio's sound designers, Sam Conran and Emmett Glynn, are hard at work building a molecule. It's a molecule of a protein from a sperm whale. And it's a molecule you'll only be able to perceive through sound. That might seem like a strange concept, but you'll find out what I mean in a few weeks when this molecule will serve as the set for a new radio play by the writer Daniel Marone. So that's what's happening throughout the series. But this week... This week, I bring you Lab Life. Today, the borders between science and art and design are becoming more and more blurry. Artists and designers are entering labs. They're collaborating with scientists and learning their processes. But the borderland between these worlds remains mysterious. What happens when science, art, and design mingle? and trade secrets. Later in the show, you'll hear my interview with an artist and a scientist who have a lot to say about this very thing. Shelley James is an artist known for her ambitious experiments with glass. And Brian Sutton is a professor of biophysics who uses X-ray crystallography to uncover the mechanisms of allergy and disease at the molecular level. They've been collaborating on a project that fuses their seemingly disparate worlds. And I was lucky enough to catch up with them at Professor Sutton's office to find out about what goes on when an artist who works with glass starts working in a biomedical research unit. But first, for this episode, I visited the Imperial College X-ray crystallographer, Stephen Curry, who let me into the crystallographer's natural habitat. The lab. Doors closing. This lift is going up. Okay, thank you. You might have to put on a lab coat, I think. Oh, okay. You, uh, but I can lend you. Uh, oh, thank I you. I can lend you mine. Okay, my name is uh, Stephen Curry. I'm a professor of structural biology here at Imperial College. And um, structural biology is a branch of biology that is concerns itself with looking at um, the structures of the molecules of life. So I work on things like food and mouth disease virus and uh, noroviruses, which people will know as the winter vomiting bug, um, probably unfortunately if they've encountered it. So X-ray crystallography is the primary technique that we use in my lab for looking at the structures of proteins. Um, and it's a very powerful technique. Uh, which requires you to prepare, first of all, relatively large amounts, milligram quantities of your protein that you're working on. You then have to crystallize it. And if you can get it into a crystalline form, then you can fire a fine beam of X-rays at it. And you will see how the crystal scatters the X-rays. And by using crystalline samples, the scattering ends up being uh, into discrete directions. And so what we capture used to be on a photographic plate, but these days an electronic detector, we see a series of spots on the detector, which looks a very strange 
uh, image to capture. It looks nothing like the molecule that we're studying, but uh, the theory tells us that there's a very precise mathematical relationship between the pattern of the spots and the actual structure of the molecules inside the crystal. Crystallographers haven't always studied things like proteins and neurovirus. For hundreds of years, the people practicing crystallography examined what you might normally think of as crystals. Minerals, like quartz, diamonds, salt, and even snowflakes. They studied their symmetries and the many shapes they can take. But they were limited to looking at crystals from the outside, only guessing at what deep ordering principles lie within them. Then, pretty much exactly a century ago, all of that changed, when X-ray crystallography was born. It arose um, actually shortly after the discovery of X-rays themselves, which was a new form of radiation discovered in about 1895 by, by a German scientist called uh, Röntgen. In 1912, the scientist Max von Laue discovered that you could beam X-rays through a crystal and they'd scatter off the atoms inside. If you set up some photographic film on the other side of the crystal, these X-rays would leave a pattern of dots and lines, a diffraction pattern. And it seemed as though this pattern told you something about the arrangement of the atoms in the crystal. And Lowy almost cracked the problem, but then the baton was passed in a way to a father and son team of uh, scientists, William and Lawrence Bragg, uh, who were working in England. And it was Bragg, the son, the, who was only 22 at the time, uh, was kind of just in the right sort of zone because he'd just finished a degree in physics. He'd been learning about crystals. His father was a world expert on X-rays and had been studying them and actually had been pursuing a line of inquiry because he believed that they were a kind of particle, but that, that, that view was overturned by von Laue's experiment. But Lawrence himself, uh, almost immediately, or within a few months of learning about Laue's experiment, saw the answer and saw that um, there was a way of looking at how the X-rays interacted with the crystals that would allow you to interpret the structure. Now they could get inside crystals. Crystallographers could investigate the invisible arrangements of atoms inside materials. And since then, scientists have worked out how to study not only minerals like diamonds, but biological substances, like the viruses Professor Curry studies. X-ray crystallography was even behind the discovery of the DNA double helix in the 1950s. You, you become an explorer in a molecular landscape that is invisible to most people. And one of the joys of discovery is that, you know, you get to see a molecule that's part of nature that no other person has ever seen. But even X-ray crystallography can't see everything. I turned 50 late last year, and so I was reflecting on my mortality. And it was really this idea, which I think probably is shared by many people, which is that when they are young and, and, and ambitious for themselves, uh, they assume that by the time they grow up, they'll, they'll have figured out the world and they will have understood their place in it and they'll know what they're about. And I, I, I now, of course, realise that that's not really the case. No one really knows you know, where life came from, where the universe came from, why we're here. And so everybody, I think, grapples with these questions of meaning and purpose and, and whatnot. And um, 
I think uh, there was a, a, a parallel to crystallography in a sense that it is, and I, as I've said uh, in this interview, it, it is a very powerful technique. It gives you uh, insights into molecular structure at atomic resolution, and so you, you, you kind of you can see everything, or at least you think you see everything. To grow crystals, we have to purify the proteins to the nth degree and isolate them from all the other molecules that they um, slosh around with in a living cell. And that means then, of course, we're losing out on the information of how they interact with other protein partners or other molecules in the cell, you know, and what it is that they really do. Although we get an enormous level of detail out of it, if you sort of push and push and push, uh, then you, you realize that actually there are still gaps in our understanding. There are bits that we don't see. I first encountered X-ray crystallography not through a scientific route, but through design. And so I was really lucky in this episode to get to speak with someone as comfortable in the worlds of design and art as she is in the lab of a crystallographer. The artist Shelley James. She has an impressive background. Shelley trained in textiles and printmaking, worked as a designer in the commercial sector, and now works in glass. Shelley recently finished a PhD at the Royal College of Art, and she's been involved in many collaborations bringing together the arts and sciences, including an ongoing residency at the Bristol Eye Hospital. Her recent collaboration with X-ray crystallographer Brian Sutton of King's College in London has resulted in a series of breathtaking glass objects. Some take the form of concentric hemispheres that seem to bloom outwards. Others are in elliptical shapes, like gigantic seeds. And embedded inside the glass are patterns. Patterns that appear to be made of air. Intricate and detailed patterns inspired by X-ray crystallography's investigations of atoms. You can see these now on our website, atomicradio.org. I went to visit Shelley and Professor Sutton while they were working, and I spoke with them about their collaboration together. So as much as I kind of try to avoid hospitals myself, um, I am currently at Guy's Hospital in London in the Biomedical Research Building with the artist Shelley James and the X-ray crystallographer Professor Brian Sutton, um, in whose office we're sitting right now. Shelley, I always actually wonder um, why artists are drawn to X-ray crystallography. It's a rather obscure science. What is it about X-ray crystallography that drew you to working with it in your artwork? Um, I think perhaps the details of crystallography may be quite complicated and difficult and mathematical, which most artists really struggle with. But I think the principle of shining light through structures and delighting in and measuring the patterns, the diffraction patterns that they make, um, is something that's that's fascinating and um, so I see as a principle of crystallography I think it has many many similarities with um, with the work I like to do. 
Um, I was wondering if you could describe the work and the role of X-ray crystallography in these objects themselves. What I've been working with is a way to embed structures inside solid glass objects and that has involved a technical investigation as part of my research at the Royal College um, where I've been embedding layers or matrices of bubbles which are generated by sandblasting essentially, sandblasting the glass when it's cold and then dipping the glass into more liquid glass and where I can where I make marks on the cold glass it catches, a t it seeds a tiny bubble. The way I've been working has involved layering structures inside the glass which allows you to create some molecules or, or voids which appear to be almost suspended um, in space and that was reminiscent of some of the models and things that I saw Brian working with and talking about but also when you cut the glass to create facets or curves you can create symmetries, mirror symmetries, you can create um, rhythms inside the object which um, seem to extend into space um, in a similar way that some of the, the ideas about when Brian describes crystals there, there seems to be a kind of replication in many different dimensions which um, the glass manages to suggest because of its optical qualities. Mm. Symmetry is really an important part of x-ray crystallography. Would you describe that as one of the perhaps parallels between the two ways of thinking that you both have? I think the first parallel to point out is, is, is Shelley's spoken of light being shone through glass objects and producing patterns and that's exactly what we do in x-ray crystallography and the light is of a uh, more energetic form with a shorter wavelength namely x-rays but it's still radiation being shone through um, lattices of atoms or molecules or rays uh, and causing diffraction effects so there's a parallel between the diffraction, the refraction, the reflection, all of these different phenomena that occur when you shine light through glass happening on a different scale, a molecular scale, with x-rays. Um, but symmetry is really important because the, the molecular structures are three-dimensional arrays of atoms or molecules which, which bear different sorts of symmetry. So as I walked in, you two were working on something and I was very sort of intrigued by the murmurings that I heard as I was setting up my audio equipment. And I'm really curious to know how you think about your working relationship. Do you, did you begin with an idea in your mind that you would each have certain roles in this collaboration? And what did you think? Oh, that that's interesting. No, I don't think we do. No, no, no we didn't. We, we, we came together through understanding, appreciating that there were these parallels that I referred to, uh, light and glass and x-rays and crystals. So we understood each other's language. Mm. You could talk about reflection and refraction and I can talk about interference and reflection and we know what we're talking about. So we spoke the same language which helped. Um, Shelley came and visited the lab on many occasions and sat next to and just sort of shadowed PhD students and postdocs in the lab and looked at what they were doing and asked questions about mm. what they were doing. Um, and uh, we visited the Royal College and saw the Royal College of Art and saw how you, you produce these works. I suppose the more I learn about the way that Brian and his team work, um, the more I uh, see all that these structures which have inherent different sorts of symmetries in them um, have different kind of rhythmic qualities, different kind of aesthetic qualities, and uh, the, the shapes 
that I, I created on the on the computer because it's a very particular, it's an irrational angle. I mean, I didn't get O level math, so you know, it, it, the idea of me doing irrational numbers is, continues to surprise. So, um, <laughs> but with Brian's help, I'm learning how to how to approach those sorts of phenomena, and the the objects that they make are just they have a different sort of quality, and that that's something that I wouldn't have arrived at on my own. So this is interesting because I think this is probably the only time I'm going to be speaking with both an artist and an x-ray crystallographer at the same time. Um, in most cases where artists work with scientists or have worked with science, they tend to be the initiators of the project because it's in their interest, it's kind of integral to their work. Whereas scientists have a lot of pressure put on them to increase their research output and often don't have a lot of time to engage in side projects with artists. So I'm really <laughs> curious, Brian, what is in this for you? <laughs> well, I, I enjoy explaining. I, I'm passionate about the subject, always have been. I think it's a beautiful subject to be involved with, beautiful aesthetically, you know, x-ray crystallography, and also it touches so many sciences, chemistry, biology, medical applications. I, I work here at Guy's Hospital because we're working on antibodies and allergic disease using crystallography to design drugs and um, and I just want I've always wanted to share that enthusiasm with others you have a lot of beautiful um, three-dimensional forms around us in the office there are these <laughs> glass objects on the windowsill that look like they have sort of etchings of of almost like three-dimensional scribbles inside of them there's ball and stick models there's a football <laughs> Um, and paper models of geometrical mm. forms. And I was wondering, do you enjoy these on kind of an artistic level? Oh, yes, yes, always, yes, at every stage. I mean, I look at the... So behind you is the diffraction pattern of DNA, um, um, famously uh, associated with King's College London, this department, the work of Rosalind Franklin and Maurice Wilkins. And, uh, no, the diffraction patterns are beautiful to look at, and, and um, well, you... I, can defend the argument that the diffraction pattern of DNA taken by Rosalind Franklin is perhaps the most important photograph ever taken of anything, in as much as it led to the structure of DNA and everything that followed from that. Um, so yeah, one, is appre one appreciates these patterns as, um, as icons, as art. And then, um, yes, there are virus structures behind you made out of cardboard, and there are those uh, scribbles that you refer to are actually the um, representations of protein structures that we work on. So. Um, and yes, I have them displayed there as an, as an art object to be admired, absolutely. And for you, Shelley, you, you've had quite a varied career as an artist, beginning in textiles, um, working in printmaking, and then working in the commercial sector as a designer as well. Um, and how is working in lab, lab environments and with scientists different from what an artist or designer might normally be used to, you know, the cluttered studio, for instance? I suppose for me, the projects that I've enjoyed most and that I feel I've made my best work around is where there's a conversation with someone else who's passionate about what they do and who's curious and has an open mind about what, what we might produce. And so in that way, it's not that different to working with... Um, 
Cancer Research UK and I worked with them on their computer interface for their website so and I was working with people there who were passionate about what they do they brought me in as someone who has a particular specialism or had a specialism in corporate identity so in that situation what we were up to together was was very so in that situation we had a brief together um, and the relationship was clear but in this situation with Brian um, he's a passionate about what he does and he's curious and interested in what I might bring to the conversation and the outcome rather than it being an interface on a computer is turning into pieces of artworks that we might install somewhere and use as a, a catalyst for a conversation with members of the public that Brian can um, we can literally shine a light on a topic that they in a different way that they they might not have thought of before so I'd say it's very similar. We work with different materials, and I suppose our our trainings are different. But um, there's a kind of common ground of of curiosity and um, willingness to try out new things, which I think is at the heart of all good conversations, anyway. Shelley and Professor Sutton's work together is just one of the stories of X-ray crystallography's quiet invasion of the imaginations of artists and designers. And there are more to come in the next six episodes. So that's where we leave it this week. We thank Professor Stephen Curry at Imperial College not only for sharing his expertise as a crystallographer, but also for lending me his lab coat. Highlight of my day. Professor Brian Sutton at King's College, and the artist Shelley James. You can see the glass objects that have come out of their collaboration on our website, atomicradio.org. If you're in London, make sure to catch Shelley's work in this summer's Jerwood Makers exhibition. It's opening on the 11th of July at the Jerwood Space on Union Street, SE1. In the next show, I explore the love affair between science and fiction. Serving as my unlikely guide will be the structure of ice. To find out what I mean by that, be here same time next week. Atomic Radio is part of the Resonance FM residency at the Science Museum and is supported by the Science Museum Art Program. This series is part of my PhD across the Royal College of Art and the Science Museum, which is supported by an Arts and Humanities Research Council Collaborative Doctoral Award. Thanks to my fabulous PhD supervisors, Sarah Teasley and Peter Morris. And special thanks to Hannah Redler at the Science Museum. You can hear us again next week on Resonance FM, online at soundcloud.com slash atomic radio, and, if you're in the neighborhood, through a horn in the Science Museum made by the sound artist Alex Kolkowski. Visit us at atomicradio.org with your comments and feedback, and we'll speak to you again next week. Atomic Radio is made by me, Emily Candela, and co-produced by Chris Dixon. Sound design and composition by Emmett Glynn and Sam Conran. <laughs>